We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiao Xin Chung. Hello, everyone. And by Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight, we'll be discussing President Tsai Ing-wen's state visit to East Swatini. Some of the latest election news involving Terry Guo and his now-named running mate. Some possible talks between opposition parties. And also fresh controversy regarding the government's imported egg programme. But we'll begin with the latest news about the partial collapse of an apartment building in Taipei's Dajun neighbourhood due to problems at a neighbouring construction site. And the Taipei District Court this week rejected two requests by the Taipei City Government to freeze 61.96 million and 200 million NTN assets belonging to GTI properties. The court insisted in both cases that it was unnecessary to freeze the company's assets as it's highly unlikely that the company will become insolvent or conceal its assets and thus be unable to cover related liabilities. Now, city officials had said they were seeking to freeze the developer's assets in preparation for expected construction appraisal fees, road damage repair costs and resident resettlement expenses. Meanwhile, Taipei City Mayor Zhang Wen and this week said that architects and engineers involved in the Darjah neighbourhood construction project that resulted in the partial collapse of an apartment building will be subject to disciplinary action. Citing reviews by three professional civil engineering associations, Jung said all of the individuals failed to actively react to the construction site monitoring system that raised a red flag over the issue. And based on the Construction Industrial Act and the Architects Act, the individuals could receive warnings, have their business registrations revoked or face suspension of business for between two and 24 months. So, Ross, of course, the big thing here is they were lucky nobody died. Yeah, certainly, because when you you see this news flash across the TV screen and you see the first images, you, you, you kind of expect uh, very serious injuries and, and even deaths. So, yeah, I think uh, we should be grateful that no, nobody died in, in this terrible incident. Um, one thing uh, Mayor Jang has had to learn very quickly uh, even though he's been off in office for less than one year, as a municipal leader, you're going to have to deal with these kinds of situations, unfortunately, wh- whether it's man-made disaster or natural disaster, uh, these things do happen. And the public tends not to be very forgiving either, right? They, they expect quick action. And of course, there's the media that, that is watching you and, and quick to criticize if you don't handle it correctly. Uh, so I, I don't think we're in a position yet to say that the city government has done all that it could. And I also think we're not in a position yet to say that the city government has, has messed this up. Uh, there is this aspect to the story uh, where residents are saying that they did submit complaints about uh, the construction and they did have concerns. Um, so that part is still uh, uh, you know, the, the truth and, and, and the veracity and, and whether or not uh, the city government uh, took appropriate action. That that part remains to be seen. And then, of course, inevitably, uh, to the extent that the city government was remiss in following up on residents' complaints, uh, the people will try to pin this on Mayor Jiang or his team directly. And what remains to be seen is whether or not that's fair or whether or not the problem is more at the, at the working level of, of uh, public sector employees. And why did they not follow up quickly when complaints were received? Yeah, I mean, totally agree with Russ here. I mean, you can see that this is very sensitive and 
touchy subject, right? Because uh, we Taiwanese people are used to watching building collapse in China, right? Due to all the corruption or so-called tofu dread construction, um, and we we wouldn't we we can not really imagine it happening here in Taiwan. And seeing that uh, the, the video of uh, of building just you know almost collapse and just going down. It is really horrifying. So uh, there's no wonder that uh, the Taipei City government and Mayor uh, John is being very aggressive in trying to uh, uh, number one to deflect blame if it's possible that people want to pin it on uh, the city government, and number two to find the culprit and find uh, somebody who he can find and he can punish so that uh, people can see that they, they are actively dealing with this. Um, but just like Russ said, at least the complaint has been coming in for for month for up to eight month already about you know uh, the con- the neighboring construction damaging uh, the buildings and it is uh, very important to find out why the city government uh, has been ignoring those complaints and finding out why the uh, the construction company has been ignoring the warning signs that's happening about. F- up to a week before the collapse, so there's a lot to be uh, looked into here, and I hope, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, we are pretty happy that everybody is safe, and then just hope this resolve peacefully. And of course, Russ, the poor thing is these poor families that are affected. It could take years for this entire situation to become clear. Yeah, they're obviously not going to be able to move back into their homes quickly, and and that leads to the issue that that you mentioned at the beginning of the segment. Uh, who's going to pay? Who's going to pay for temporary? Uh, housing uh, for for the affected uh, uh, homeowners or or renters, uh, and of course the city government is going to try and get get uh, the construction company to pay for all of that 100. percent That's why they're worried about uh, the company uh, possibly shifting out assets and just saying you know, there's a limit to what we could pay, uh, possibly even declaring bankruptcy. Uh, so the city government you know, they're worried about the financial cost as well as the political cost if they don't handle this. Uh, uh, correctly, uh, and then uh, at, at the risk of of uh, uh, being critical of the victims, because they are victims, um, they they can't go to their, their they can't return to their homes. Their homes are currently inhabitable, uh, but there will be this dispute about uh, whether it's the city government or the construction company saying, "Well, we could give you." temporary accommodation at this location in this building that that the victims will say well that's not good enough you know it's it was what you know we want something nicer uh and then the uh, this is almost inevitable that it's going to happen mm-hmm. that there's going to be uh the the residents the affected residents are going to be on tv saying um i've been offered something below standard or below the standard that was previously my home. And then you'll have the city government saying, actually, it's nicer than your original home. Uh, And uh, we, as the public watching this, will just be, uh, you know, we'll we'll be unsure who's telling the truth. But uh, like I said, I think that's almost inevitable, uh, whether that's in the coming days or the coming weeks. uh, While the story is still in the news, I think we're going to see the residents say, I've been offered something below what, what I was where I was previously living. And of course, Xiao, this raises questions about other building sites in Taipei and elsewhere on the island. Yeah, right. Because people are very looking very closely at the other construction project of this construction company, Jitai, right? Um, so it really raises a lot of questions. Uh, and extending, 
issue would be who is going to rebuild those uh, damaged buildings surrounding the collapse site. Um, and there's a lot of uh, debate whether uh, the, the same construction company should be the one that's rebuilding because, um, the, number one, the company should not be rewarded um, of other projects because he they collapse uh, one building, right? And so that's why there's a lot of con- debate about who is going to you know spearhead the project that's going to rebuild all the surrounding because they are heavily damaged um, and they are in a potentially dangerous zone because if one building collapse that means the underlying you know uh, uh, you know foundation may be weak and and so people are looking at a lot of other issues and uh, but but number one the, the victims they, they are still living you know some are in hotels and maybe they receive subsidized in rent to live somewhere else and the number one issue is to make sure everybody uh, has have a home to return to and Ross, what about other concerns in Taipei about other building sites, not just G-Tai properties building sites, but other construction sites? Well, there, there's a building boom going on right now, um, not just here in Taipei, but uh, across Taiwan. In, in all the major cities, the skyline is is uh, being rapidly changed, um, and that's both residential as well as commercial building construction. Uh I'll take exception to one thing Xiao said earlier, though, when he said we're used to seeing this in China, but not in Taiwan. Uh, having been in Taiwan a number of decades, uh, this is not the first time a building has collapsed in Taiwan. Uh, sometimes it happens during or immediately after an earthquake, but in those situations, very often it's because of shoddy construction, and that's why if there's an earthquake in, say, Hualien or Tainan, one building collapses. The, the issue was not the earthquake. It was the construction of that one building. Uh, so uh, this is not exclusively a China problem. <laughs> it, does, it does happen here. Uh, Gavin, I'm sure you remember, what was that, that, that big building in, uh, was it in Shija that collapsed in the mid-90s? The, what was it called? Lincoln? Uh, Lincoln the Lincoln Mansions. The Lincoln Mansions, yeah. You know, that, that was a terrible disaster. Uh, the good thing we could say is uh, it happens less frequently here than it used to in the past. So uh, to be fair to all the stakeholders, whether that's the construction industry or, or uh, local or central government, there is there has been an improvement in safety standards and adherence to safety standards. But unfortunately, there's always going to be some bad actors who cut corners. And that's why when there is a collapse, we find out that there was a uh, uh, Deficiency, whether in the construction or uh, oversight by the relevant government agencies, or uh, Gavin, you mentioned the uh, the Architects Association. Uh, they actually play a role. Like, like these non-government organizations actually play uh, a certification role for building plans and for occupancy as well. It's not only uh, municipal governments that do that. Uh, so. What could we say other than hopefully this will be a wake-up call to, to look into ongoing construction amid a construction boom? Because when there is a construction boom, like there is now, uh, you know, there might be haste to finish projects. There might be a shortage of qualified uh, personnel, uh, whether on the construction side or the inspection side. Uh, so let's hope that the current construction boom doesn't lead to problems down the road. And as you're a lawyer, Ross, putting your legal hat on, Obviously, this is going to go to court, but I mean, how long are we looking at for this to go to the first trial, the second trial, the third trial? Uh, This kind of thing, if it was less than 10 years, I'd be surprised, right? Because the the 
latitude to appeal is so great, as you just mentioned, uh, and, and also because there'll be civil as well as criminal cases inevitably from this. Uh, so it'll go on for quite a long time, which actually links back to what I just said. You know, like if you're a resident, you're expecting some justice. Uh, don't expect to get it from GTI so quickly. That's why the the political risk for for the mayor is is so great because if he doesn't get this right then everyone's going to be coming after him moving on now and president tsai ing-wen returned to taiwan last friday from east swatini which will likely be her final overseas trip as taiwan's head of state and speaking to reporters immediately after arriving at taoyuan international airport where she stood at a podium tsai touted the four-day trip as bringing fruitful results now according to tsai her trip to east swatini showed taiwan's resolve to make friends with countries around the world despite facing difficult situations in international affairs and she went on to say that taiwan is capable of and willing to make contributions that can benefit the world and Taiwan will continue seeking to play an active role in matters of global attention. Now, Tsai was accompanied to Iswatini by Economics Minister Wang Meihua and Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Chi-mai. So, Xiao, her last trip, likely, she might go somewhere else, but I can't see it, was to Iswatini. Was that... Would you expect her to go somewhere else or is Iswatini good enough? Well, I think Iswatini is definitely one of uh, few remaining... Um, diplomatic allies, or that, that that we currently have, um, and just like President Tsai said, uh, Iswatini has remained a strong friend of Taiwan, or uh, if you were Republic of China for for decades, has been speaking up uh, in international arenas for uh, Taiwanese for Taiwan's you know right to participate in all sorts of uh, international organizations. So definitely, um, if given the uh, occasion, um, the president. Uh, Visit uh, the, our, our ally would, would be very. Um, it is very uh, a good uh, occasion to to have, um, but not just the president's time when he's visiting Iswatini. So it, right now, uh, the role has been taken on by uh, Vice President Lai, who has been uh, visiting other uh, diplomatic allies around the world. So I think we we still have a very strong f- uh, friendship in the world, and I think that 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 trip shows that to the Taiwanese people. I'm going to have to disagree with what you just said, Gavin, because President Ma in March of 2016 actually went overseas. He did go to Central America in that period between the election day and and the inauguration of the next president in May. And why not? It's up to you to decide, right? No no one's going to tell you you can't do it. So uh, I I don't think we should be surprised if President Tsai goes to either uh, the Pacific Island countries or to uh, the Caribbean countries uh, sometime next spring. They give her another chance to transit America, uh, just to get all the the trappings of a head of state going overseas, the red carpet, the gun salute, or whatever uh, they do to welcome her in in those countries. So we shouldn't exclude the possibility that that she'll do it. One thing was missing from this trip, and you know what that is, Gavin? It's the D word, democracy. Because usually when Taiwan is interacting with foreign countries, for example, when those wonderful think tank people or congressmen from the United States come to Taiwan, you all know who you are because you're listening to the show. Uh, you know, what doesn't matter if it's President Tsai or uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Joseph Wu, they can't stop saying democracy in the front lines against uh, autocracy, et cetera, et cetera, over and over again. And same thing when, when uh, President 
visits uh, these countries, again, whether it's in the Pacific Islands or Central America previously. Now we're kind of down to one. We're just, we're two. We're down to Guatemala and Belize. Uh, but they're always saying democracy, even though Guatemala is like going backwards on democracy <laughs> under the great friend, President Giametti. Uh, but uh, 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 you can't say that with Iswatiti, right? This is one of the last hereditary absolute monarchies in the world. There's been protests that uh, the government used violence to repress in recent years. Uh, the, there's no transparency in government decision making, right? This is this is the epitome of the opposite of what Taiwan's always talking about. So there was no mention of this trip is to uh, strengthen democracy, like, like they said when President Tsai. I went to Guatemala and Belize earlier uh, this year. Uh, so uh, that was just completely missing from this trip for obvious reasons. <laughs> but at least they did not say it, Shao. I mean, if she said the word democracy, would it have sounded a bit asinine, one could argue? Well, yeah, one could definitely argue that. But um, you you have friends who are in the democratic circle. You have friends who are not. But Annie Swatini has been a friend of Taiwan for, for many years. Um, and... Well, given that, you, if you look at some of those allies who defect, you know, Taiwan, who uh, get, well, who got bought by China, quote-unquote, um, is probably because of uh, their, you know, elections. When their regime, when their administrations change, they change their stance on being friends with Taiwan. Um, so that may be uh, one of the reasons that Swatini has been remaining a strong friend of Taiwan. But um, that being said, um, going back to the issue of uh, President Tsai's uh, diplomatic trips, I think there's... Um, not much that that she can do right now because domestically um, she cannot overshadow you know the the current uh, presidential candidate of uh, vice president Lai. Um, so that and, and some trips that has, has she she has delegated to uh, vice president Lai. So I think it, it, all, all in all, it's a it's a pretty good trip to to show uh, that she's still busy with building uh, the image of Taiwan around the world. Moving on now to some local political news and this week's election headlines. And Terry Gore, or good timing as it looks like he's now seeking to be known, made sure that he grabbed the headline news early Thursday after announcing that singer-actress Tammy Lai was going to be his running mate for January's election. Gore introduced Lai at a press conference which was held at 8.35am, during which he touted her communication skills and stressed that he believes that the addition of a female perspective will be beneficial for him to promote gender equality. Quality. Speaking at the presentation event in Taipei, Gore said that he will depend on Lai's unique female perspective to foster a more equitable and gender-balanced culture here in Taiwan. While Lai, who portrayed the president in the hit political drama Wave Makers, urged overseas Taiwanese business people to return, invest and remain in Taiwan, she also said she will seek to communicate the credentials and policies of Gore's independent ticket by engaging with opposition parties, the media and, most importantly, the general public. Now, now, Lai's nomination as Gore's vice presidential pick means that she will likely have to renounce her US citizenship if she actually wants to run in the election. Now, Gore must also collect signatures from 289,667 voters in support of his presidential bid from between September the 19th and November the 2nd to make it actually onto the ballot. So, Ross, I mean, was that a surprise that he picked Tammy Lai? He could have gone for Lin Jerling. Uh, it's not a surprise that he, he picked a woman. Um, and he, there's plenty of recent examples of gender-balanced uh, uh, tickets, uh, President Tsai, having uh, male uh, running mates. Uh, uh, Eric Drew, when he ran for president in 2016, after he dumped 
the female Gomida candidate Hong Xiu Drew, he had a female running mate uh, as well. Uh, so not a not a surprise there. Uh, you know, she's known to fans you know, from her work in the entertainment industry. Uh, I'm not sure if I would necessarily call her a household name, though. Uh, you, know, you had to have watched her TV shows or listened to her music to know who she is. Um, is is she going to uh, help uh, Gore get the signatures? No, I, I think whether or not Terry Gore gets enough signatures, it, it comes down to how much resources he invests in in people standing on the street to to canvas for signatures. So you got to hire enough people to do that. Uh, will, will she help him get elected? I don't think so. This candidacy is about Mr. Go, not about who his running mate is. His running mate could have been anyone. Uh, this is really about Go saying, uh, I'm the businessman and I, I can help the economy and I could also help smooth relations with, with China. Uh, but he had to pick someone and he, uh, he seemed committed to picking a lady and he found one. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a refreshing choice, right? Because um, uh, although I, as someone who don't really watch TV that often, I I, I can recognize her face, but I, I cannot come up with her name on top of my head. But uh, she is, just like Rasa, is not a household name, but she's very recognizable and very well-liked as a, as an actress. And in, incidentally, uh, just on the day she's nominated by, to be Terry Gore's um, running mate, uh, she was nominated to, to, to be a nominee for the uh, one of the awards for the Golden Bell Awards. So on, on her accomplishment for the for TV uh, contributions. So it's just like I said, she's very um, well admired uh, throughout the industry. And um, and speaking of which, I mean, entertainers uh, joining the political arena is nothing new, right? Because if something some names can come come up, uh, the most uh, famous would be Freddie Lim, uh, who is a metal singer, and um, Oh Yang Long or Yu Tian. So they are both uh, very famous uh, entertainers who later join a political party and run for elections. So, um, so and just like I said, it's very very uh, refreshing choice, and um, but the Terry Cole need, does need to gather enough signatures to get on the ballot, and that's still waiting to be see if that would happen. And of course, Ross, this sparks speculation as who the other running mates would be, and will they be women as well? well shouldn't surprise us again. There's this uh, pattern now of, of gender balance tickets. Uh, if, if you don't do it, then you have to answer questions why. So instead of wasting time answering questions why you didn't have a gender balance ticket you might as well uh ensure that you have one um doesn't it don't always happen hangul yu's running mate was was not a a woman um on the other hand they lost so (laughs) 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 although i I don't think i don't think hangul yu lost because his running mate was uh simon jang uh john chang jung no it's uh the problem was the top of the ticket was hangul yu uh but uh, i don't think any of us should be surprised if uh uh hoyo selects a woman and we shouldn't be surprised if Koenja uh, selects a woman. Uh, and there's lots of talk that he'll pick Huang Shanshan, who worked with him at Taipei City Government. And uh, if if uh, Lai Qingde picks a woman, as is is often speculated that it could be former uh, culture minister uh, Cheng Lijun or the uh, the current. Uh, de facto ambassador to the United States, Xiao Meiqin, that wouldn't be a surprise at all. Uh, so 
the, the pattern is there. So I, I would expect we'll see uh, some more female running mates. And Xiao, I mean, as a voter, would you be more inclined to cast your ballot for someone who chose a female running mate or possibly one that didn't choose a female running mate? Would it affect your vote? Well, it it depends on the the candidates, right? If uh, uh, the candidate has been criticized as being um, too uh, male-centered, or maybe, for example, in the case of uh, Cohen Joe, uh, has been uh, criticized for his uh, comments on women being ugly, being uh, being you know why don't women stay home and stuff like that um, then it would really benefit him if he uh, uh, choose a female uh, running mate to show that um, um, his uh, support for uh, uh, you know f- female participation in political arenas so that, that that would be a strong consideration but for some other candidates uh, by just simply picking a woman it would not really help persuade voters to uh, cast a vote for them because uh, they really need a lot more persuasion than just simply choosing a woman and we have to take a short break now but we'll return after these rather important commercials Welcome back to Taiwan this week. And we talked about Mr. Hang War Yu in the last bit of the show. So he's back. And now he's reportedly seeking to mediate electoral pact discussions between the KMT's Ho Yoe, the Taiwan People's Party's candidate, Kerwin Jia, and independent candidate, Terry Guo, or good timing. Now, according to Anne Wong, who served as the head of the Kaohsiung City Government's Information Bureau during Hang War Yu's rather brief spell as a mayor there, Han is hoping to negotiate a consensus between the three opposition contenders if he's asked to do so by the KMT. Now, talk show host Zhao Xiaokang is describing Han as a very suitable candidate to lead such talks, regardless of whether the KMT chairman, Eric Ju, formally authorises an electoral pact or not. And Zhao said this week that he believes it will be best if those discussions were held off until mid to late October, when the election landscape becomes clearer. So, Ross, there we go. Han is going to mediate a big pact. I... Uh, he says that now, but when the time comes, is he actually going to do anything or achieve anything? Uh, I wouldn't be too optimistic. But you know, if people ask him today, hey, Mr. Han, are you going to help mediate? Of course he's going to say, I'll do whatever I can. Right? He's not going to say, no, I want nothing to do with it. It would be nice if he said that because then we, we, we wouldn't have to speculate about it. Uh, but. Uh, he he's trying to be a team player. He's also trying to protect uh, the possibility that he might have a future role in politics as well. And there's still that element of what the, what is called in Mandarin the Han Fun. You know the the real diehard supporters of Han Guoyu. And if Han Guoyu says vote for this person or that person, then that 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 is a portion of the Guomindang's base, the Chinese Nationalist Party's base voters uh, that will. Follow what what Han uh, suggests, but can he really broker some some kind of agreement? And and to look at it another way, if there is an agreement to be brokered, how come it hasn't been brokered yet? You know, why does it require Han Guoyu's intervention? Right, if there's a deal to be made, then. Uh, 
good good timing, <laughs> Terry Go and uh, Koenja and uh, either Hoyoi or uh, Eric Julie Lund, the chairman of the Nationalist Party. They could all have a have coffee. You know, they kept saying a few weeks ago, "Oh, we're trying to meet for coffee," as if like <laughs> this is complex. I mean, there's there's like three coffee places on every street in Taipei, plus Seven Eleven and Family Mart selling coffee. Uh, so it, it, it's not so difficult to to meet and talk to each other if they really wanted to do. So I'm giving that long background by way of saying I'm just not optimistic that there's any deal to be made because if there's a deal to be made, these are these are adults, even though sometimes they act very childish. Uh, they can make a deal today that doesn't really need Hangul use intervention. Yeah, so the phrase he used, uh, he's trying to be uh, a Taiwanese phrase called Tang. So what that means is trying to be a force that binds all the separate parties together. Um, and I, I think that's a good idea, being that Han Guoyu is the, the the last really strong KMT candidates uh, in a field of uh, presidential candidates, right? Because last time he ran, um, not, not just in the presidential candidate or the Kaohsiung mayor candidate, he really demonstrated uh, a strong grassroots following, which all the other candidates uh, are lacking. So he has the uh, the solid support from the uh, the voters, the blue camp voters. So he really has the uh, the credentials credentials, if you will, uh, being this Kotang, right? This force to bind them together. But just like Russ said, um, if they are to be integrated or to be bound together, it already would have happened already, or maybe they are already should have been moving in uh, in that direction. Um, but because right now, as Terry Coy's claim to be joining the race, uh, they are really just um, getting less and less chance of being elected, right? Because um, the, 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 the pan blue camp is already been very stretched thin and right now um, you have like uh, three parties uh, the Kerwinja Hoyoi and Terry Core uh, splitting the, uh, the the margin if you will so that's that's why a lot of commentators are saying that uh, the Vice President Lai Chinda is uh, he can just win by just sleeping at home until the election day well <laughs> but that's a bit exaggeration but um, just like I said if uh, there's nothing uh, integrating the Pembroke camp uh, it really it looks like uh, Vice President Lai is going on to an easy win. So, Ross, of course, the China Times on Thursday of this week published a big poll, a splashy new poll on the front page of its newspaper, showing that a Hoyoi Kerwinger candidacy could garner 38.4% of the vote if someone like Mr Han does intercede and have a bit of a chat with all the parties concerned. Now, according to the poll on the front page of the paper, which I'll add again because it was a very big, splashy story... Now, a Ho Ker candidacy would enjoy that support rating over the DPP's Lai Ching De and Xiao Bi Kim partnership, which, according to the poll, had a 29.6% support rating. That would be somewhat, not not entirely, but somewhat consistent with uh, one thing that poll numbers have consistently reflected during this election cycle, which is actually a majority of the, the voting public uh, does not support William Lai Ching to, to be the president, but the opposition to to Lai is fractured, and then that's why whether it's a three way or a four way race, Lai consistently ha- has a lead, and uh, he doesn't need to do anything, as Xiao said, and and, and he'd get elected. But uh, when you do eliminate the fracturing on, on the non among the non DPP candidates, uh, then 
they win. And again, the polls have consistently shown that. so if you're a lie, you can't be thrilled with that, especially measured against uh, a President Tsai's extraordinary reelection victory in 2000 when she got 57 percent of the vote. Uh, if you're a lie and you win uh, with something in the mid 30s, you, you know, everyone's going to remind them of that for the next four years. Right. They're going to call you, you know, President 35 percent. Right. <laughs> and, and that will be a burden because he won't have uh, he would have won. But it wouldn't be a very strong mandate, and do we, he'll, he'll struggle with that, uh, and he'll struggle even more if the legislative UN is is fractured uh, as well, and his party doesn't have uh, a majority of seats. Uh, but uh, again, as we've been discussing today, there's there's no reason to believe that the non the non-William Lie candidates will coalesce and make a deal with each other, and and turn themselves into a single ticket. And if they cannot do that, then again, it looks like Lai has has an easy path to victory, although it would only be with less than 40% of the vote. And Xiao, I mean, Ross mentioned the legislative elections there. What are you seeing in the legislative elections so far? Well, in the legislative elections, it's still, you know, too early to, to call any, you know, uh, wins or losers. But um, we can see that uh, it's still pretty early in, in, in the process because, uh, as we said, the election is not heated, heated up yet um, so that you can still, voters still are paying, you know, just, you know, um, have attention to the election news and then people are just trying to grab onto the big events like the building collapse to demonstrate, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a candidate here, I'm running for office, so everybody's flocking to those. But uh, it's still not seeing that the voter is very actively, you know, seeking out who they are going to vote um, and, and some voters that don't even know that who are the can, who the candidates are in, in his or her district so that in legislative uh, elections uh, it's still kind of a lukewarm um, and we're yet to see uh, the pace to be picked up I'm really disappointed because I thought Xiao was going to take this opportunity to announce that he's running for legislative <laughs> and well, then I could have said good. if I had a vote because I don't have a vote I would have said if I have a vote Xiao you would get my uh, vote not today. I, 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 would, I would move move to your district and vote for you uh, yeah but to to uh, emphasize what Xiao just said, the Nationalist Party just a few days ago finally selected a candidate for the Zhongzhong Wanhua uh, constituency here in, in downtown Taipei, uh, where Freddie Lim, who we had discussed earlier, you know, he's, he's been elected twice, to, but he decided that he wasn't going to run for a third term. But previously, that was considered a, a fairly easy victory for for the nationalist party in that constituency and then freddie knocked off the incumbent and he was reelected he survived a recall attempt as well uh but my gosh what what's going on there at, at the nationalist party right you have a district in downtown taipei that that historically is considered a, a easy victory for you and you're waiting until september to pick your candidate, I mean, you can't get your own house in order. You know, it does. It just doesn't reflect well on on Chairman Ju's leadership at all. That it took until September to sort out a candidate in in downtown Taipei. Yeah, well, that's that a great point. I mean, uh, so that's why I said this election or the local elections are pretty 
pretty weird in terms of why I mean it's not does not seem competitive right? because sometimes if you look at four years ago um, the candidates are already at each other's throats at this point right so, for example like Zhong Zheng Wanhua like Ross mentioned it's extremely competitive I mean uh, it was uh, Freddie versus Lin Yufang and they are extremely tough uh, candidates and they they attack each other all the time so uh, but at the same time this year it's just not like nothing's happening I mean um, so I think all eyes are on the presidential elections right now who is going to be the you know the KMT's final finalists and the, the candidates and if the, the third party uh, K, uh, Coenger is going to how much percentage of vote they are gonna he's going to gather and how how much of the youth vote he's going to pull away from uh, from the, the who were previously uh, voting for Chai Ing-wen so I think all eyes are on the presidential uh, race and much less attention is being paid to the local races. And before we go this week, the government's imported egg programme come under fresh scrutiny once again. The programme was, of course, established due to a shortage of domestic eggs earlier this year, caused by an outbreak of avian flu. Now, the Food and Drug Administration this week ordered the recall of a batch of eggs imported from Brazil, following confirmation that the expiration dates were inconsistent with the dates of the original manufacturer. Now, the company that imported the eggs, that being Tainong Egg Products, was quick to admit to mislabelling the date, and the company owner... He even made a nice video of him standing next to a pile of eggs imported from Thailand explaining that he'd made a mistake. And then it transpired that apparently, well, the Ministry of Agriculture told him to make the video and take the rap for the problem. Now, of course, the Ministry of Agriculture has come under its own problems due to the imported eggs with Agriculture Minister Chen Ji Jong basically being forced to loudly deny allegations of fraud surrounding the import of eggs when it became sort of maybe clear or not clear, depending what political bent you have, that possibly his office was rather close with one of the companies given a contract to import the eggs in the first place. Now, we woke up this morning to news in the United Daily News newspaper that more eggs from Brazil had been ordered off store shelves and also in the China Times newspaper today where the mayor of Taichung got rather vocal about the egg dispute, matter, controversy, whatever you want to call it, saying the government has been very, very far from transparent about the entire egg situation. First, I want all those people, those keyboard warriors, and you know who you are because I know you also listen to Taiwan this week on ICRT. I I want you all to finally admit that there really was an egg shortage in the first few months of this year because there were were a number of people on the internet, whether that's on Twitter or PTT uh, or Facebook who were questioning whether or not there actually was an egg shortage. And they'd say, well, I went to the store today and my nearest store had eggs. Well, maybe you were just lucky that the nearest store to where you live had eggs. But there was an egg shortage. Okay, this is a fact. And that's why the government got involved in in subsidizing the import uh, of a large number of eggs and uh, opening up very quickly uh, new sourcing locations from which eggs could be sourced uh, because normally for for the what was then the Council of Agriculture is now the Ministry of Agriculture uh, normally to approve a new source for poultry products and eggs or other food products like beef or fruits and vegetables normally it takes them years to issue those kinds of approvals right so they they rapidly gave approval for new sources because there really was a shortage and now it seems like we're, we're redoing some of the same uh, quirky for lack of a better word procurement processes that occurred with the vaccines. Uh, And uh, the government 
and I, I, I'm going to say pun intended. I'm not going to say no pun intended because I intend to make this pun. The government has egg on its face. It looks a bit scrambled to me, Ross. Uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely fried here. <laughs> but are they boiled, shall <laughs> Well, I'm, I totally agree with Ross that uh, the, the, egg, the egg problem does exist. Um, but I, I disagree that it's not due to the, the keyboard warriors because this is pure political bantering, right? This is election season and these uh, charges are being led by many of the po- uh, political candidates hauling uh, this uh, criticism at the Ministry of Agriculture uh, in hopes of uh, tainting the, uh, the image of the, uh, the the government in power, right? Because uh, this is how elections run. Um, so it's not surprised, but well, truth be told, is there some mistakes being made? Uh, is there some contract who are given to companies who are not supposed to win those contracts? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe or maybe not. But um, but but the the X problem needs to be solved, and the government quickly solve them. Well, n- now it's election season, so everything is possible. Well, they may have solved it, but uh, did they overspend? Did did somebody's friend get the contract? Right. Did a company get the contract that really wasn't in the industry? Uh, you know, there's these accusations that this was basically like a paper you know, shelf company, right? Uh, that was created for the purpose of importing the eggs, and then they get the, this massive contract, and it's, it was guaranteed profit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, you know, did somebody's buddy get this great deal? Uh, it's possible. I, mean, I think the government needs to be transparent, not be defensive. The reaction, I, I do think it's it's a bit defensive mm-hmm. in, instead of just uh, being uh, calm and, and saying this is what we did to solve it, and uh, we have other. But you know the fact that the the importer mislabeled the eggs. I mean, it just doesn't reflect well on on the selection of that company to be doing this. Definitely, yeah, totally agree with uh, Russ there. I mean, there's a lot of um, you know even mistakes, if you will. Um, and I hope that the, the government needs to come forward and then trying to be more transparent. And then uh, if there there's some people who needs to be you know looked at deeply, and then they should show that uh, and then try to tell everybody what's going on. So I think the conclusion there, gentlemen, is the government should cease walking on eggshells over the matter. <laughs> A- absolutely, but the the best solution would be um, instead of not only walking on eggshells. And, and all jokes aside, just just. Do what's necessary to restore you know, normal supply and demand, uh, 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 a normal supply and demand environment. Uh, you know, I'm not normally. I'm not a big fan of government intervention to this extent, right? Because things go wrong when it's government and when you're misusing taxpayer money. Uh, so you know, this is what happens when the government gets into the import import business. And that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week. This week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I've been joined in the studio today by Xiaoxing Chung. Good night, everyone. And by Ross Feingold. Good night. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.